0: Hello, friends. It's time for a Friday update, which I realized has not happened in almost three weeks. This is Sarah Griesenbach, founder of the B2B Writing Institute, and B2B Craftworks is an ongoing effort to keep everybody informed in the world of B2B writing, which is business-to-business writing. And I was thinking about that last night, and I realized I'm actually repeating a pattern that I've had for more than 10 years where Whenever I'm sad, I don't update things. I just go away and I hide and I regroup. And the more I dig into the Enneagram and being an Enneagram 8, I totally connect the dots that I'm basically trying to protect myself when I'm vulnerable. So I'll realize things aren't going well or I don't feel like my fully put together self. And so I retreat and I hide. And I did this back when I was a blogger in 2008, 2009, when I ran like a lifestyle blog for myself. And I'd wait until a problem was completely resolved. Then I'd come back a month later and write about it in detail, how I felt, what was going on, what wasn't great, how I fixed it. But I would never feel comfortable talking about stuff while it was happening. And I really want to change that habit. So that's why I'm talking today, even though. Still, I'm not feeling great. I guess I am feeling better. So I waited until I was feeling better. But I have just been super stressed out and running my writing business as the breadwinner for the family, trying to grow the Institute into my full time thing. So I don't need to write quite as much. That has been really difficult. And there's just self doubt that comes with all of this because. Like I said, it's just me making these decisions. And when something isn't selling, I'm not sure people realize how many things can go wrong with a product or a platform or a course or training or whatever, where it's like, am I trying to reach the wrong people? Do I have the wrong offer? Is it at the wrong price range? Like You're just evaluating this thing you love negatively all the time and discounting all the positive. And when that happens for too long, duh, entrepreneur is going to get a little sad. So this all kind of came to a head Monday of this week, where I put out a little plea for compliments, which I've never done before. And it feels really tacky, but I super needed to know that all the work I've been doing has not been for nothing. And people really showed up for me. And as just as an A, I don't super go for emotional connection and stuff. I try to protect myself from that. But it was so meaningful to hear people say that I've helped in any way. There were, there was a wide spectrum of ways I've helped from really silly and not meaningful to life changing and career oriented. And it just really was exactly what I needed on Twitter and LinkedIn. I even had some emails come through from people who might not have, interacted with me the way I've been showing up in the world so I would have had no idea. So I just want to if you're one of those people who shared it just it meant everything to me and I'm reading through those things every day and just trying to keep that drive going to keep doing this cuz I really believe in what's happening. And so on that note, I just rebranded the Kickstarter to the Moonshot. I think that is definitely taking me closer to what this needs to be. And then I'm going to just be thinking about everything. I'm going to take it down to the studs and see what is it that I'm helping people with most. And then how can I package that in a way that's going to let me run a business? And that's the hard part, I think, because my instinct is to just help everybody and save everyone. But as I saw with my teaching career, that really burned me out. It was starting to burn me out with this. And I just, I want to be here for the long run. And I was journaling about this and I put it as I'm Robin Hooding myself to death because I just, I want to help the most vulnerable, but the most vulnerable aren't in a position to be investing in stuff and going really hard on their business. So I need to find a way to make that work. We'll see what happens. Another really empowering thing that I realized that is so dumb that everyone else already knows is that I don't actually have to be on social media. I forget that a lot. And I get sucked into FOMO and other people doing it so well and just wanting to be a part of things that I just ignore the fact that people I really admire, people with serious businesses that are doing far better than mine, aren't on Twitter and aren't on LinkedIn. And it's an optional part of the way they do their thing. So I've so enjoyed how much things have grown over the past six months that I've been really leaning into Twitter and LinkedIn, but I'm going to take a little pause until July. I'm going to lean into blogging a little bit and not so much social media and just see how it goes because it is just so easy to forget when you run your own business that you are the boss. If you don't want to be at your desk at 9 a.m., you can not do that and figure it out in other ways. You can tell people you don't take calls at 9 a.m. Like you're allowed to do that. And I'm allowed to say, I just don't do social right now. And wow. And maybe that is a indicator of just leaning more into long form and going back to where I'm most comfortable, which is writing, because I'm going to be putting the B2B writing seminar into a book format. I'm super pumped about this. I want to have it available on Kindle by the end of the summer. That is aggressive. But I've taught through the course three times. I have 80% of the content down. So really this month and next month, I'm just going to focus on bringing those parts together, interpreting it for the written word instead of the spoken word, the training word. And with the help of my unofficial writing coach, make sure that I'm writing it for the right people. Because my first instinct was to say, this is just for anybody who wants to be in the BD writing seminar. I can't. But in reality, this is going to be something that stands for what I'm doing. So I think it needs to be a little bigger picture than that. So like you said, I know that is aggressive, but because it's so different from what I've been focusing on with social media and speaking and podcast interviews, I think it'll be relaxing to lean into that and have longer periods of writing. So part of the reason life is hard is because of Institute stuff, but it's also just life. Like my home life is really hard right now. My husband and I have been really paying the COVID tax for not communicating well. I really don't do well with noise. So going home to two joyously healthy, wonderful toddlers just at the top of their lungs playing pirates, (laughs) it is a miracle that I'm so grateful for. And also life is completely overwhelming at all times. So I think that's a big part of... Why I need to regroup with institute stuff and writing stuff because I really I haven't left myself any safe place. Home is not a safe place right now with toddlers. Which it sounds so dramatic, but I'm a highly sensitive person. I'm an introvert. It just hurts to live with toddlers, and I accept that. And we have good times together, but in general, just really I want to crawl into a big fluffy hole with a book and just not exist from the hours of 6 p.m. to 8 a.m., and that's just not an option when you live with small children. So if you don't live with small children, this is just a gentle reminder to go crawl into a big fluffy hole for 12 hours and enjoy yourself and think of me because I can't do that right now. And then with work stuff, the way I've been operating, splitting my time between the writing business and the institute. I end up leaning hard into billing to get that really high and then leaning away into the Institute to make progress with that. And so that is just such a high and low flux that it ends up being really stressful. So part of what I'm trying to do is calm it down, normalize those things and just have consistency on both sides, which does not come easily to me. I want to, I want to have an idea and have it done within a couple hours. And I've been able to do that with so many things that it's really frustrating when I can't do it with this. But awareness is everything. So to get some of that consistency, we're actually looking at a lot of really radical options at home. So my husband might go back to work with a virtual job, which would let me lessen up on some of that financial stress, which is just so real. I want to shout out to all the breadwinners, male or female, whatever's going on. It is a lot more pressure than it looks like. and whatever income level you're trying to reach it's just a lot of pressure to know that if you are sick if you get hurt your whole family's livelihood is at stake that's just not been a healthy experience for me i may and this is going to hurt i may let go of my co-working office i've really enjoyed it i've had it for about a year and it let me have the b2b writing institute logo on the door which of course is one of my life highlights but I don't know, it's really expensive and that would let us have a little more flexibility. Of course, that would have some trade-offs where it thrusts me right back into toddler noise if school is canceled, but the closer I get to 40, which is about two years away. I know the secret is that I actually have control over a lot of the stuff that I don't think I have control over. So within reason, if I don't fix it, that's really on me. So if I'm walking around strung out about work 13 hours a day. And then I'm grumpy with my family and then I'm sleeping, really stressed and feeling attacked all the time. At This point it's all on me. Like I'm making choices that lead to this situation. And that can be stressful when it's unreasonable. If you put that pressure on yourself unreasonably and try to take responsibility or ownership over things that are outside your control, that is stressful and I would not recommend you do that, but. For little things like this, like what my day-to-day life looks like, what my day at the office looks like, when I'm released from home, <laughs> which they say that it sounds like being released from prison, but when I'm released from home around eight or 9 AM and I don't need to be back until five or 6 PM, I have control over those hours and I just have not acted like I do. I've acted like a victim with those hours. An example might be that I've had a gym membership at American Family Fitness And I have walked into that building twice in a year. (laughs) Both of those were with the children in the past month or two. So it's that's on me. I run my own schedule. I don't go to the dentist and I really need to. That's on me. And seeing this pattern and seeing that I've worked for myself for nine years and never once have I enjoyed sleeping in or enjoyed a full day off or gone to an art museum during the workday, Those are choices I made, and it's empowering to see that I can change that. It's been really hard to change that. It is not second nature to me to relax or take breaks, and that's something I want to work on. But I just want this to be a warning for anybody listening. If you find yourself overworking or overthinking or any of these things, it's not that it's your fault that it's happening, but you do have some agency and some control over what you change to make it go away. Because no one's going to come in and save us from ourselves. That's just not going to happen in our personal life, in business, mentally, emotionally, all these things. It's scary to be in charge, but being in charge also gives you this cool power that we otherwise might not have. So this is very much in progress. This is the vulnerable part where I say I do not have this problem solved. Fixing this is making me face my own workaholism and why I would rather be on a computer than doing pretty much anything else. I I am addicted to productivity and that is not cool. And it's, it's requiring me to care less about the work I do, which just does not feel good or right. And it makes me think about what are those layers between a creator and an entrepreneur and a business owner? And why does it seem like the correlation is that money goes up as you move through that process? and caring about your work goes down as you move through that process. And I don't understand, and I don't know where I'm gonna end up, but I do know I don't wanna keep living like I have for the past two years or so. So that's where I've been. That's the strain going on, kind of the ceiling of weight that I'm trying to hold above all this creative stuff that I'm doing. And I guess it makes sense now that I say it out loud, why I wouldn't feel creative or free or fulfilled or any of these positive things, even though I'm having this great impact and doing great things when I'm under this kind of strain. So I look forward to getting rid of that and shaping that in some way so that I can clear the path for what I want to do and the people that I want to help. And overall, this is just a shout out to mindset, to therapy, to self-reflection, journaling. All of this stuff maybe doesn't feel productive beforehand or during, but the amount of clarity and observation and just reflection that I'm, that I'm capable of now that I don't think I would have even understood why it's important a mere six years ago, I think is really cool. So if you are working on this stuff, just know that it really is worth it. And it might not feel like it right now, but you are headed somewhere really cool that you just wouldn't have come across if you didn't decide to work on this hard stuff. So all of that is much more of a personal update. I think it could be fun to hear that stuff, so I'm going to leave it in. But I also wanted to share the four components of freelance pricing that I've been sharing with people in the holistic pricing rubric for B2B writers. And I'll link this in the show notes. But I found this rubric has just been really helpful for showing people why they are underpricing themselves especially new writers who are coming into this without a lot of experience in the four components that I'm about to share, they come in and they're wondering, maybe I should take a $10 an hour job or maybe I should get paid one cent per word or something like that. When in reality, when you come into a situation with very basic skills and competencies, you still can earn a decent beginner rate, intermediate rate, and advanced rate, depending on those skills. So the four things I'm looking for when I talk with somebody about pricing, first is going to be the writing skill. Second is going to be their processes, which is like project management and client experience. Third is going to be the niche and marketing experience. And then fourth is going to be the outcome, the guarantee, or the lack of risk that they offer the project. And these are four components I've chosen just after observing and working with writers for so long. And of course, bringing this to my own work. But I think when you have none of those things, you end up being on the beginner side. You're fairly new. You have potential. Maybe $20 to $50 an hour is what you should be shooting for. You're not going to come in and just suddenly make six figures if you do not have any of these skills. But you can look at these skills and work on them and improve over time, improve over a short period of time if you bring intensity to that process and get into intermediate and advanced rates. It's just that you cannot suddenly charge high rates, but you can suddenly develop these skills and get to a higher rate. So when it comes to writing skills, for a beginner, you have very basic chops. You've received some compliments about your writing. You just feel really good when you're writing. You know it's kind of your thing. As an intermediate person with writer skills, you're getting the hang of everything. You might start learning some formats, You've channeled your inner master several times. You have room to grow, but this is definitely your thing. You've definitely helped people with this. Once you get to the advanced level, and this is where you're at the max of the pay scale, 300 to 500 an hour or more, I've seen more. You have true craft. Your words bend to your will. You know how to write on behalf of a brand or a person. You can do it masterfully. You have confidence and knowledge and training and experience in what you've been doing. And that's where you are an advanced person with writing skills. When it comes to processes, a beginner is flying by the seat of their pants. (laughs) You are Googling the format. You're Googling how to, what questions should I ask? You're willing to give it your best shot. You have goodwill towards the writing process, but you are more or less making it up. That is how it is when we're starting. No shame in that. When you get to an intermediate level, you start to have some pretty darn good processes in place. You're giving a pretty good client experience. You tend to manage the project. You know what the next steps are and you can lead a client through that. You're guiding clients in the right direction. Sometimes you're still a little unsure if you're the one in charge, but in general, you know where you're headed with this. When you become an advanced writer, when you have advanced processes, project management and client experience, you have operations and you have processes The experience for a client is seamless. You're reliable. They know what they're going to get. You're walking clients through something. So they have this controlled experience that is that of an expert. When it comes to the niche and marketing experience for a beginner, do not have any experience. It doesn't matter who you're writing for, what you're writing about. Your background doesn't factor into it very much. You're just willing to learn, which is a wonderful place to be. When you get to an intermediate space, you understand how marketing works. You have that basic knowledge, especially B2B. You understand what those degrees are between your client's audience and what they're trying to do. You have applied this to a specific niche or industry. So maybe three or four different topics. You've read a couple studies in each of them. You have a general awareness of what those key terms are and stuff like that. So you haven't super niched anywhere, but you are more than the average bear. For an advanced person in a niche or marketing experience, you have very specific experience and clips and background knowledge about an in-demand area of expertise or marketing function. So this means you can write for chief finance officers and know what they care about because you've read Deloitte's priorities of chief finance officers for three years running and you interviewed a couple of them, right? That's the kind of experience you have. When you are an expert in this area and you are demanding a really high rate. And then finally, the fourth component is the outcome guarantee or lack of risk. And again, for a beginner, you're coming in and you have few or no examples of what you do. You have all the signs of potential, like maybe you seem trustworthy, you're gung-ho about getting it done, but no demonstrated proof yet. You don't have any clips on your site. You don't have any recommendations or testimonials. You're just out there. That's our beginner. $20 to $50 an hour. You're riding on your potential and your energy. That is what's happening. For an intermediate outcome, guarantee your lack of risk, you have a positive track record. So you're starting to have some examples of outcomes or a positive track record of your work. You have some clips. You have some positive feedback from clients that you've been able to share. Now, examples of positive outcomes can also be the actual results of the marketing campaigns that you front. run. Which, frankly, especially in long form content, I don't see that a lot. I don't see direct evidence of positive outcomes or ROI in marketing. In copywriting, you're probably going to see that a little more. People can show you improvements in click rates and open rates. People could show you actual sales and lead generation and stuff like that, which is this just makes this component really interesting to me because this is the one that I never leaned into too hard. I focused on having positive, testimonials and a great track record of clips, but I'd never really got to the demonstrated proof of marketing results personally. So if I were looking at this and trying to figure out how I could charge more, this is the one I'd lean into personally right now. And then when you are advanced in this area of outcome for clients, a guarantee or a lack of risk, you're going to have demonstrated proof. You're going to have clear examples of specific outcomes people get when they work with you. You're going to have case studies, maybe a downloadable PDF about somebody's success story from working with you on marketing or content, stuff like that. In copywriting, I think this is going to be a bit more important because people want to see that your landing page converts or that your email copy builds relationship and has people writing you back, stuff like that. With a white paper, with an infographic, that's going to be more difficult. I won't say it can't be done, but that's what I'd be looking for if I were trying to lean into demonstrated proof to improve my pricing. And like I said, this was really resonating with people because I would have established or intermediate people coming through who are still charging $25 an hour. And they'd see this and say to themselves, wait a second, I am pretty good. I have great processes. I'm very deeply niched and I have a positive track record. Why am I still charging $25 an hour? I definitely can make the case for 75 or more. And seeing that kind of behavior take place is beautiful to me because you cannot, you can't just raise your prices and go about your business. You have to believe that you are worth these things. And it's hard to figure out, it's hard to believe that if you don't have evidence or reasoning behind you. And I think this rubric provides a lot of that great reasoning. But there's always a caveat for that. So this is just my opinion of seeing a couple thousand writers doing this in my own career. So I think this is a really powerful thing to look at. There could be factors that are not listed here. And if I find them, I will add them. And that brings us to the end of the Friday update. I'm really grateful to be here talking with you and to have this voice. And I hope to be a little more consistent as I lean away from social media into longer form, more slow paced things like the podcast blogs, and things like that. In fact, I actually have the first blog already up on the site, and I'll include a link to that, but it's called Processes for B2B Writers, How to Do Writing Work Quickly and Efficiently, and it walks through, if you're looking at that pricing rubric and you want to lean into processes, what are the processes you need to have in place to start to grow that side of your business and that side of your pricing. Coming up next week, we're actually going to have a training inside the membership, on processes. And this one will focus on proposals and invoicing for clients. And so I'll talk about some best practices there. We'll look at some of the most common technology to use for that. And then some of the uncomfortable things that can come up, like when you're going to get paid, how much to offer people, how to deal with scope creep, all of that. And that's going to be right on the heels of the next bundle sale, which is four or five of our trainings packaged into one low price offer. And this one's going to focus on processes. So if this is an area that you are interested in. You definitely want to stay on the list. Check that out. It'll be on sale next Wednesday through Friday. So there it is. Thanks for coming along. I'll talk to you later.